title of today's sermon is It's Time to Get Back in the Game. And for those of you that know me, know that there might be some sports um, references in that. But it's time to get back into the game. Let's pray with me now. Dear Lord, we thank you for being who you are, God. We thank you that you have allowed us as a creator to be your servants, to be your children, to have an opportunity to come here and to listen to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, today that, that you give this message and not me, that my words are spoken um, from the words that you put in me to come out and that you may teach me and teach the people here in this room what you would have them hear. Lord, open up hearts, open up ears so that we may gather the information in that you have to hear us. Allow me to cause it to make sense while I'm up here, Lord, and that everything that we do, including this service, is to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to be reading in 1 Kings um, in chapters 18 and 19. So it's going to be a little bit, but I was thinking about this before I get started, that, you know, this is a lot, oh, this is a lot, you know, that I'm reading. And, and really, it's only going to be a few minutes, right? What, what, is, what is, when we're talking about, the, you know, God's Word... Um, and here's the cool thing. I'm not going to be reading a bunch of um, he begot, he begot, he begot, he begot. So this is kind of this is kind of a story in the middle of um, the Old Testament where it's kind of cool. This is one of these fast-paced moving stories that's interesting. And this is one of these stories that's interesting from the beginning to the end. So, you know, uh, open up. Let's pay attention and um, allow me to read um, from God's Word. And then we're going to try and make a little sense out of it. And I will say this. There's a lot. This sermon could go ten different ways. And I've got one specific way for this sermon to go today. I know pastors taught on this thing um, before. Um, but I've got a way for this. that I've got this going today. That I believe God has led me to do this. So, in starting in verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So, is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? Elijah says, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar 
but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all of the people agreed. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it. Call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls, they placed it on the altar, and then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, Elijah, he, he began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming. I love this. Or, or is relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. So they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. Then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. And after he had done this, he said, do the same thing again. Don't you think he's kind of, right? Just do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, do it a third time. So as they did, so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar, and it even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately... The fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. The wood, it burned up the stones and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Then Elijah commanded, Seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley, and killed them there. And then in chapter, uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. And Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. 
and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up, he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And he came to a, there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me, uh, to kill me too. And then in verse 15, then the Lord told him, go back the same way that you came. Right. So, in this long story, right, the Lord gives Elijah, he's the only one left, and the Lord gives Elijah back in the very beginning, in, uh, starting in 16, this is where the Lord gives us the strength to get into the game. This is where Elijah is strong in faith, a, a great prophet, stands up not only to Elijah, but to the king, I mean, uh, to Ahab, but to the king as well. And so Elijah has no problem in getting into this, um, getting into the game, right? And I said there might be some sports references. And, I, you know, I thought about throwing some softball stories out there, but, you know, my wife tells me don't talk about yourself because, you know, that's... And, that, and, you know, so I'll skip a softball story. But I will use football and not one of my stories. Um, and, and there's two of them that I want to use that I'm going to expand on as we get into the sermon. Um, when, you're, when you are a, in a football game and you are way better than the other team, right, it's easy to come out there and to start beating up on them, running the score up, getting ahead. Um, and I'll bring up the Atlanta Hawks um, the, the, against the, uh, the Falcons. The, golly, I was thinking Seahawks because that's my next reference, right? So I got the Hawks and the Falcons. So um, the Atlanta Falcons against the Patriots when the Falcons blew them away and had that huge halftime lead, right? Yeah? Cheryl, you looking? 
Okay. Huh? <laughs> That's right, basketball. <laughs> football. Yeah, I know. I said football, and then I gave the basketball name. I knew I had that name from somewhere. Anyway, so in the football game, the, in the first half of the football game, the Atlanta Falcons just took this huge, huge lead, unsurmountable, right? And the Patriots, they did not give up. And they came out in that second half, and the Patriots started to get momentum. Well, I don't know what happened in the Falcons' locker room at halftime, but you can bet that they were already giving themselves a little pat on the back. They were already talking about how well they've done good in the game. They were already talking about being super... I guarantee there was at least one time before another player went, don't jinx this, that someone said, we're going to win this football game, we're going to be the Super Bowl champions. The Falcons had some confidence at the halftime with as big a lead as they had, right? So they went into the game. They were prepared for it. They moved into the game, and they got this big lead, and then they kind of got comfortable with that lead, right? The Patriots, however, they were hungry, and they started coming back on it, right? And let me just say this. Whether it's football or whether it's softball, I've seen it so many times. I said I wasn't getting into a softball game, but I've seen it so many times play myself where this team jumps out, and then they just try and coast. And you try and move forward, and you coast. Once you get into a position of being comfortable, you kind of start coasting along. And then all of a sudden, attacks start coming, and you're like, well, I still got a big enough margin, right? And the attacks start coming, and then momentum goes the other way. And then all of a sudden, the Patriots had momentum. And you know what it's real hard to do? It's real hard to get back momentum. It's real hard to finish if you don't continue moving through the entire game to its completion. It's real hard to get that big lead and then slack off and then turn it back on because you're having to recycle yourselves up. So the Patriots just came back and the Falcons never got that back. They never regained it. They couldn't turn it, they couldn't turn the tide, stop the momentum, and they lost that Super Bowl, right? You take the Patriots-Seahawks, the other game, right? Patriots had the lead. They got a little bit calm. They tried to ease on through the Super Bowl, and the Seahawks had the momentum, and they're coming back, right? And one person stepped up, got back in the game, and right as the Seahawks were ready to win the Super Bowl, jumped that route, and he got back in the game, and the Patriots intercepted it in the end zone, and it's ball game. The Patriots are the champions, right? So I'm just telling you that either way, whether, he got, whether that man got into the game or in the Atlanta game they didn't get back in, it's real hard to get back into the game. That's a real hard thing to do. So in verse 21, when Elijah was talking to him, he said, How much longer will you waver? hobbling between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Right? And the people were silent because they're like, mm, uh, like, we believe in God. Right? We believe in God. But, you know, we've married into the... And our, you know, our wives, they worship Baal. And we do. The, the, their whole um, civilization had gotten polluted at that time. And they were mixed between the two. But God doesn't, really, God doesn't really like that, right? I mean, God's a selfish God, 
And he tells them, this, this lukewarm stuff isn't any, isn't any good, right? Um, let me get... Just give me just a moment. I told you pastor called me at 845. In Revelation, I turned the page a half a sentence too early. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, Christ said to the church at Laodicea, I know all the things that you do, but you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like, luke, luke, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Right? So here's the thing. If, if you're going to be in God, if you're going to believe God, then that's what we need to do. Right? That's what we need to do. We need to commit be, to being a Christian. Um, lukewarm water. Do we, you know how you get lukewarm water? You pour a little bit of cold in, you pour a little bit of hot in, and it's lukewarm. Right? It's neither hot nor cold. So if you, in your life, pour a little bit of um, old self, and you pour a little bit of God in there, it doesn't really come out to, it comes out lukewarm. And Jesus said, I, I don't want lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out. Right? Why are you even here? And I've said it before. Um, I can remember when I first got saved, I had, um, I, I was in a, I, I, I started to go to a, a different church. I was kind of, I was just struggling at the time because I wasn't saved. And I was kind of bouncing around. So I went to this church. I went there a few times. And it was like the word really struck me. And God, I mean, not the word. Well, the word, God, struck me. And I got saved. And that's a whole different message for a different day. And if anyone wants to ask me, you can. But when I was saved, I didn't have a, a group of people around me. I didn't have a man up that I could go to. I didn't have a spiritual father that would tell me what to do that fathers lead me along, right? Um, I just got saved and I know I felt great. And then from 1998 to 2003, I had, it was like, it was horrible. I just got to be honest with you. It was horrible. Because nobody told me to read my Bible every day. Nobody told me to pray every day. Now you would think that, the, you would think, right? Well, you know what happens when you assume you would think that if you're saved, you would want to learn more about God. But if nobody has ever, you know, guided you along or taught you what you should do or explained the word to you and caused it to make sense, then you don't really know how to do these things. And I'm telling you this because for the next five years, I believed in God and I, I, I was saved. There's no doubt in my mind I was saved. But I did these stupid things that a non-saved person would do. Right? And, and the difference between when I was saved and, um, or when I wasn't saved and was saved is now I'm getting convicted for these things. Right? And, and I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. But then I go off and do And it's like, you know, one foot in the water and one foot not. It just, it wasn't working out for me, and it was a horrible life. And, and that's the thing. If you're going to be a Christian, don't try and keep one foot in the water of, the non, of your non-saved self. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. If you're not, don't. Don't have one in cold and one in hot and become lukewarm because then Jesus is going to spit you out. 
That's not what it's about. It's about committing to this. And this is what Elijah tells him. Look, I don't care. He's like, I don't care. If the Lord's God, follow him. If Baal's God, follow him. If that's who you're going to pick, follow him and quit calling yourself a Christian. Quit calling yourself a child of God. Just go be unsaved. Right? Just go be unsaved. And don't get mad. We as Christians, we, we get mad at all, all the time for the way that unsaved people act. And we can't do that because unsaved people are going to act like unsaved people. What they need to do is they need to see the glory of God in you and the way that you act and beating them over the head and pounding them about going to church. You should be that. It's, it's hard to use that argument for us because, you know, their common comeback is, well, I don't go to church because I've been to church. Or, you know, hypocrites in church. People, like, you can't use your words to pound them because you're a sinner still. You have to show the love of God. That's the way we're going to do it is to show the love of God so that we can bring them along, right? But he's like, pick which one you want, but don't pick both, right? So in... All right, so now we get to, um, so now let's get back into the, into the story. And Elijah has got the, um, he's got the priest in verse 25, starting in verse 25. Um, he's going to let them go first, right? Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose the bulls, prepare it, and call on the name of your God, but don't set fire to the wood, right? So um, if you get the choice in football... Um, you know, you win the coin toss, you get the choice. Do you want to defer to the second half or you want the first one, right? Okay, what does everybody do? They defer to the second half, right? Now, in baseball, in a preset schedule, somebody's home, somebody's away. But when you go play softball and you all play at the same park, um, you know, you, you, you flip a coin for, you know, in the playoff. And if you win the toss, what would you rather be, the visiting team or the home team? You want to be the home team. And you know what they call the home team in a baseball game? You're the one with the hammer. Right? That's what they call it in sports. You've got the hammer. If, you're the, if you go second, you've got the hammer. So, you know, again, how many times has the pastor talked about things being stolen right out of the Bible and we use them into our, you know, current day secular activities? Well, here we go with baseball. It came first with Elijah. He's like, hey, you go first. Right? Because he knew. Right? He knew. He's just sitting back and waiting. He's letting them go so that he can come back with the hammer. And so about noontime in 27, about noontime, he began mocking them, right? So he sat there and let them go for three, four hours already doing their thing. And he's like, I'm just going to throw it in at them. I'm just going to, you know, trash talk them a little bit. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for, he, for surely he's a god, right? Daydreaming, relieving himself, away on a trip. I mean, come on now, right? So he's just, he's just egging them pushing them, egging them, pushing them on, and they're getting crazier and crazier and crazier, cutting themselves, bleeding out, just doing all kinds, walking on coals, all kinds of weird stuff to get this God that is a no God, right? He's not going to answer. You can do all you want to. He's not going to answer. He is that little wooden idol that they made. That is the total entity of that self. There's nothing about it, right? So then Elijah comes in, and he builds his... Um, he builds his altar, um, 
he takes it, he adds water on it, then he adds water on it again, then he adds water on it, right? Just taunting them, overflowing, filling the altar, filling into the ditches, flowing out and over. Just basically, because Elijah knows that God is his God, right? And when God does something, he's, just, he's not going to do it on a little thing, right? If he just, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure they had lightning back then. If, if, if lightning just happened to strike at the time that Elijah called on it, which would have been God anyway, but had that happened and Elijah, um, and, and lightning would have struck and di- made that bull disappear, right? How many of you known that they would have tried to rationalize and said, oh, well, that, it was just a lightning storm happened to come up when it was Elijah's turn, Right? So Elijah's going to make sure. And I know we're not going to just do this. We're going to pour water on it. And we're going to soak it down, right? Okay, everybody got their water. They soaked it down. He's like, well, let's do this again. And they're, you know, they're probably thinking, wow, okay. So they get their jugs of water. They pour it on, and they fill it again. No, nah, no, nah, that's not enough. We're we going to make God do this in a big way, right? So they f- pour so much water on that it fills up the trenches. There is no doubt. And when Elijah prays for God, immediately, right? It didn't happen. It wasn't like calls on God and then a storm came and then light. No, God didn't send lightning down. God sent fire down and he consumed everything on the altar, right? Not just the bull and not just the wood which burns, but he consumed the stones as well and dissolved, evaporated all the fire, licked the uh, the water up with the fire, right? There's just no doubt, boom, he took everything to prove, just to show that it was God. And then the people fell down, and they were like, and in 40, um, 39, it says, the people saw it, they fell down on the ground, they cried out, the Lord is, he is God, yes, the Lord is God. And then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal, don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to Kishon Valley and killed them there. Now, that is a great story in itself. God showed up there, and God showed up big there, right? But how many of you know that that's not the end of the game? I've seen child in, in children's stories, when you have the book of, um, you know, I got one for Drew, my grandson in, um, in Gulfport, is, um, you know, stories of the Bible. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's a very, that's a great basis to start with children. Um, you know, David and Goliath and, you know, um, Noah and um, Jonah and the whale. And, you know, um, they can get all the, um, you know, they, they can get into it deeper when they get older. But it's good to have a basis to start from, right? And so normally in, in children's Bibles, this is where this ends because it's shown how great and how good God is, right? But... Um, How many of us know that when we do great things for God, that the enemy pushes back? Right? Every time the enemy pushes back. So in chapter 19, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything. I mean, in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. Right? So Jezebel May the gods strike me and even kill me by this time tomorrow, but I have not killed you just as you have killed them. He sent that, she sent that message to Elijah, right? Now, I don't know. 
um, I can't say what I would have done in that time, but I think that what most of the men in, well, I would say all the men in this church, all the men in this room right now would have said, oh, I'd have stood there. I'd have stayed, right? But how, how do we know? Because Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of God, and all of a sudden, man, he had done this great thing. About 450 priests, probably other 400 from Azure, probably killed them too. He's got the whole country behind him. Everyone's behind him. He showed, I mean, glorified God in one of the greatest examples in the Bible of God just coming down, reacting to an immediate prayer that was called, and boom, and did this. Elijah's got everything going for him, right? And then he gets this little threat from this woman, right? I mean, come on. You know... I, I, the, the, Marvel, the Marvel movies, they got, when they came out with um, Captain Marvel being a woman, I was like, what? Like, huh? No, I thought Rick said something. Um, they, they got all these women, you know, here, and that's fine. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I'm just thinking, um, what's the one where Jennifer Garner's in the red suit? Yeah, I'm just telling you, I think, I know she's good and everything. She probably hit me about 18 times, but I think that if I just took my 230 pounds and just slammed her into, just football tackle, drove her in the wall with my shoulder right there at her gut, I think I'd break a few ribs and knock the breath out of her, right? I mean, I don't know. Not saying that I would want to fight them. These women in the UFC now, I'd not want to meet one of them in a back alley, but I guarantee you, I wouldn't come, I wouldn't try and fight her game. I'd just take my whole weight and just boom. I mean, she's fighting at 125. I mean, come on. I know I could just, I, I don't know. Right? So this woman, this Jezebel, has got Elijah, and he's freaking out. Right? So Elijah leaves, goes to the cave, and in verse 4... It says, then he went alone, went on alone in the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under the solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Oh, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than the ancestors who have already died. And he laid down, slept under the broom tree. And as he was looking, the angel touched him, get up and eat. He looked around, beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones, a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, he lay down again angel of the Lord came, gave him some more food, and he's like, he's got this journey, right? Like, you're not done. Like, come on. I, I just want to die. But the angel of the Lord's like, no, we, you've got this journey that you still got to make, right? So what's that, what's that telling us? That's telling us today that no matter the things that we do, if we're weary, we still got a journey to keep going on, right? We still have to keep pressing forward. And he ate, he drank, he went through the journey, and then he um, went into the cave and spent the night on, um, here it is, I want to say Mount Sinai.
Yes, 40 days, 40 nights to Mount Sinai. And the Lord, this is when the Lord comes to him. The Lord says, what are you doing in here? He says, why are you here? I mean, come on, Elijah, what are you doing? You know that I've got your back. You know that I have protected you. You know that I have shown up and have done what you asked me to do. And Elijah's to the Lord. I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. Right? So the Lord has him go. So he's, the Lord says, go out and stand before the mountain. The windstorm comes. That moves the rocks, fire, earthquake. The Lord was not in any of those. And then after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord told him, go back the way that you came. All right? So when the Lord says, go back the way that you came, travel across the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Haziel to be king of Aram. But I want to focus on this first. Then the Lord said, go back the way that you came. So when... I used the reference of a football game earlier. And we were talking about, or I was talking about, how teams come out and they have a lot of strength at the front of the game. When they're, when they're the better team, when they're more prepared, they come out. Elijah was more prepared. He came out. We in our daily lives, we're here. We're doing things for the Lord. Some of us may have done, some of us may have been doing more for the Lord in the past than we are right now. Right? There may have been a time in our lives when we were serving the Lord to a great capacity and it's just like, whew, Lord, I'm doing everything for you. I have zealously served you, right? But ain't nobody listening to me. Ain't nobody responding to me. I just, I just want to go back and do things the way they were. I just want to go back and die, right? But... When God talks about going back the way, to the way you were or going back the way you came, what he's asking us to do is to get him back in the game. Right? This is what I said. This is time to get back into the game. Not being back to a sinner, not going to before Christ, but going back to where you were at the beginning in Christ when the first love that you had of God was the strongest and most powerful. The time in your life where you became the strongest in God. Um, I mentioned that I was saved in 1998, but lived a horrible life for five years in 2003 until I got a spiritual father and a family, um, a church family around me that supported me, showed me what to do, and it was then that I started moving forward in Christ. Um, I, I've always gone to church. I was one of those kids that always went to church. Mom and dad, from the time I was... I mean, I can remember... I remember being on a pew at midnight mass 
on Christmas Eve. It was really Christmas because it was a midnight mass started. So we were really in there on Christmas. And I can remember being on that pew prior to moving the second time when I got into Pensacola. And I got to Pensacola when I was two and a half. So it was somewhere between two and a half and four. I can remember lying on the church pew. Um, that's kind of all I remember. I don't remember the, basically the service or anything. But I've been in, the, in church my entire life. I was born in 1960 and didn't get saved until 1998. So for 38 years, I was going to church, right? But I wasn't doing anything for the Lord. And then when I got really saved in 1998, I'd had that church life of, and, and I'll, I'll say this, the church that I was in for 38 years never asked me if I was saved or knew the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, right? And it's, like, that's astounding to me still. But the church I was in used a, a, a book of common prayer. They said the same thing every single week, week after week. I could, I would, my mom used to hit me because I was reciting the entire service about a second ahead of what the priest was reading out of. He's got this holy book, and he's up there, and he's reading out of this holy book. And our services were an hour, hour, and 15 minutes. But in that hour, an hour, and 15 minutes, he only stood up and caused the word to make sense for about two to three minutes. That was the average length of sermon, was two to three minutes. And they would take, during that book of common prayer, they had two, um, two, thing, two areas where they would read um, scripture. And then he would pick one of those two to talk about for three minutes, and then he was done. So my point is, in that three minutes that I got, every two or three Sundays a month that we went to church for 38 years was not, that's not teaching me how to have a personal relationship with God. So even though I got saved, you would think, well, you may not have had a family, but you kind of knew because you've been in church for that long. I didn't know because they didn't prepare me for that, right? So when I actually found Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. And it's why I'm so loyal to Pastor, because the amount that he has taught me is just amazing. And, and he'll tell you, when I came here, I thought I knew this much. I really did. I, I was member in good standing, gave 3% tithe, right? Because that's what they asked me to do. I'm like, yeah, I can give 3%, right? And so I thought I was tithing. I was on the usher team, you know, but, but I think I like the usher because I like to stand at the door and talk and greet people. Anybody here think that might be true? Yeah, knowing me, right? So I got the usher. I got to stand around and talk to people. I got to tithe 3%. I, I came here. And, but at the same time, like I told you, I was struggling with, you know, I, I, I wasn't happy because every time I did something wrong, I got convicted. That never happened to me before. And I'm like, hmm, this just, you know, something screwy here, right? So... Anyway, um, I had the opportunity to come to this church family with pastor as my spiritual father, and I was taught. I was taught how to be a Christian, right? And it was, it was, at, it was at that point that, um, that we want to get back to. Not necessarily when, when the day that we first got saved, we want that love, but we want to get back to the point where we are serving. We want to get back into the game where we are serving as our highest level, okay? 
have you ever, and pastor said, we're all, back, we're all backsliders here. Because there might be somebody in here. There might be someone in here that today, on September 17th, that you're at the pinnacle peak of what you've done so far in your Christian life. And if you are, that's great. Keep going. But you're going you're gonna to falter somewhere. Right? Because Elijah, the greatest prophet that we have, he faltered. He did this great thing and this um, great thing that God told him to do. God came down. He glorified. God glorified himself, showed the entire nation of Israel, right, who he was. And then one little woman made Elijah turn to momentum. And he's shifting out, right? So how many times um, do we get into a situation where we are doing well? We're moving along in our Christian. We might be near the top of our Christian game. I mean, you know, there are valleys and hills. And we might be at a hill right now. There's plenty of us that can be at a hill. I'm not saying the best you've ever been, but plenty of us can be on a hill and we're moving through. And life's pretty good right now, right? Um, God's taking care of us. Um, we're being blessed and we're moving through. And here's the problem with that is that's when it gets most dangerous because when you're doing well and things are going good, two things happen. Number one, when you do good things for God, the enemy pushes back. And number two, when you're starting to do so well, you might not think, you might think it's more you than God. Right? So when you start doing well and you start getting blessed, if you are not staying on your game, I guarantee if the Falcons went into the halftime show and they went, look, that's a great team over there. Don't, don't you say how good we're doing. We Stay on it. Stay on it. Stay on it. We got to go out there. If we don't score 30 more points, they're going to come back and get us, right? We got to stay on this. We got to move forward. If they'd have gotten, if they'd have gone into the locker room and stayed fired up instead of slapping themselves on the backs, Right? If they'd have stayed on it and stayed on it and stayed on it, the Falcons would have probably been the Super Bowl champions. But they didn't. They got complacent, just like we do in our lives. Right? Elijah, he got discouraged. He did this great thing for God, and then he went on, and he's like, oh, another thing. I got Jezebel now. She wants to kill me. I'm just going to go run and hide. Lord, just let me die. Right? How many of us do good things? We do great things. We get out here and we do things and we serve for God. And then something happens, something gets in the way, and it's like, ah, man, okay. And then how many of you know that once you start sliding a little bit, it makes it easier and easier not to come, right? So I'm here this morning to tell you guys, read your Bible as you once did, right? Pick the time in your life when you were not just reading the Bible, but you were really reading the Bible, right? Get into your daily devotion with your Bible. Um, and I know, so this book of the month is Genesis, right? And this is the way I typically, and everybody's different, this is the way I typically do the book of the month, is I open it up and I read it. And then, I, I mean, I finished... Genesis and I don't know uh, by the eighth seventh or eighth of the month and I had read through all 50 chapters okay and then you go back and I've been on this this is no lie I was stuck on chapter one for like four days when I went back 
Because you get into like verse 4 and you're like, oh. It did, because how many times do you know, how many times have you seen the little things where you get a, a, th- a paragraph on Facebook that says, if you can read this and you're a genius and like all the E's are backwards or there's letters left out or something like that? Because your mind fills in all those blanks, right? And if you're just reading the Bible just to read it, those first 50 chapters I read in eight days, I mean, it refreshed my memory, but how much did I get out of it? Maybe a little bit, right? Because my mind was filling in. And I, I got to be honest with you. I'm going through reading it, and I'm like skipping a couple. Like, oh, yeah, I got that one. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I got that. Right? You're skipping through. You're reading. You're, you're moving on. You're not reading the Bible as you once did. So get back to the point where you're reading the Bible. Go back to where you came. Okay? Get back in the game. Turn the momentum around. If you're at a point in your life where you... We're doing great, and then you're not doing so great, or you're just doing mediocre, moving along. Don't let that momentum shift. Get back into the game. Stay focused. Stay serving God. Reading your Bible as a reminder is you talking, or is God talking to you? Remember, we talked about we've talked about so many times in this church that having a relationship with God is just that is you are having a relationship. The, the whole salvation is you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in a relationship, you have to talk and you have to listen. You have to, right? I mean, if, you know, if Sonia talked and Marcus didn't listen, there'd be trouble, right? That wouldn't be no kind of relationship, especially for him, right? He'd, he'd be the sad one in that. But you're not going to have a relationship. Um, if you, if you, uh, you know, teenage boys, if they like a girl and they never talk to her because they're so shy or embarrassed or don't want to go up and talk to, the, talk to her, then um, that's not a relationship. Because you want it to be, it's not a relationship. So... Reading your Bible is listening to God in that relationship. And then pray as you once did. Okay? Praying is you talking to God. Um, I can remember, this is, I, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I know I'm weird, okay? Um, but I can remember my best prayer ever. I can remember my best prayer ever. Um, I was in Whisper Creek. Um, which was a house that pastor sold me. I got into a bind, and, and he just, he had a house. It was his house that he and Gail had together. And he didn't know what to do with the house because he, was, um, he didn't want to sell it, and yet he didn't want to rent it because he didn't want other people in there. And he still had some decor in there and stuff like that, and he'd had the house. He'd been already moved six months ago. And he and I were talking, and I was in a situation, and he just slid that key over to me. And he said, well, he asked me, he says, are you interested in buying this house? You, you need to move from where you're at. Are you interested in this house? And he, market value, right? He teased me all the time about charging him high for a fence. I charged him market value, right? He didn't give it to me. He charged me market value for the house. But he, he pushed that key across, and he says, you move in tomorrow. And I got out of the situation that Nancy and I were in, we moved in that house the next day and worried about all the paperwork down the line, right? But 
It was in that house. And it was about 4 o'clock in the morning when Nancy, um, she used to work at J.C. Penney's, and she had to go to work. She had to be there at 5, so we were up at 4 o'clock every morning. So I would get up and help Nancy do her thing and get her off, and then that's when I prayed. And I can tell you, in general, that was the best prayer time that I ever had, was at quarter... 4.45 to 5.45 or 6 or whenever I finished. But I, can, I still can, to this day, remember a specific prayer. And, and I started on my knees, and I ended up walking around the house with my hands, my arms open to God, and I was crying, and it was like God moved me on that day. I remember that prayer, right? Do you have a time when you had a prayer? Is there a time when you had an event? Uh, when, when your prayer life was just really going good and, and, and things were being answered and, and you just did what we're supposed to do when we pray and we follow the model of the Lord's prayer when we pray. We need to get back to that time. Have you ever had a better prayer life than you are having right now? Well, if you did, then that means you're not where you need to be and we need to get back into the game. Refocus on that, right? I keep going back to the, to the football game. If they'd have walked in that halftime and not gotten complacent and patted each other on the back and said, you know, all we got to do, man, all we got, 30 more minutes, we're going to cruise this out, right? And it didn't happen. Don't get complacent on where you are. So read your Bible as you once did. Think of that time that you once did, the best reading of the Bible, the, the most um, delving into it, and um, stop at the punctuation, like Pastor says, and read the Bible and let it um, pour into you as you pour into it. Pray as you once did. Think about the time in your life when you were praying the best, right? I know, um, I know that Deacon Cedric, when he goes to the gym and works out, he doesn't just make up a brand new schedule, do you? You do the schedule you did when you were bodybuilding, don't you? Right? He, he, that was when he was at the peak of his game. Because he's not now. But when he was at the peak of his game, right? Or maybe he is. I, when he was at the peak of his game, he had a schedule that kept him at the peak of his game. And when he goes back to working out, when he gets back into the gym, when he gets back into the game, Cedric goes back to the thing that he did the best that he did the most. Do that with your prayer life. Do that with your reading of your Bible. Think of the time when you were reading, when you were at the peak of your Christian game and you were going back and you were reading your word and it was making sense to you. And when it didn't, you investigated. When you came across a word you weren't sure, Google it. You got Google at your fingertips today. You can look at everything. If you get a passage that you're not sure of, blue letter Bible it. Bible gateway, do something. You know, Google it. Listen to commentaries. I'll go home and talk with Nancy, and she'll be like, well, I got into the second verse, and that sentence, that, that verse didn't make much sense to me, and so I spent the next three hours listening to several different commentaries of what that meant, and then using bulk text theory, she went on what most of the theologians that she was listening to in the commentary would have to say about it. She didn't just lean on one person, right? So 
Pray as you once did. Read your Bible as you once did. Praise as you once did. Right? Is there ever a time in your life that you praised God better than where you're at today? I mean, when we come in here for praise and worship, I mean, I know, I can tell you this, I know that there are times when I've gone in to praise and worship and I've just like, I've cried, right? And you guys probably don't know, you know, just, just trying. I, there's times that I have cried during praise and worship because praise meant more to me at that time than other times. Praise, when you're praising in here before, when you're giving God praise and we're um, singing these songs to God, it doesn't matter what the person next to you or the person in your family or the person behind you, it doesn't matter what any of them are doing because God's not interested in them. At that point, He's interested in you and listening to your praise. Here's the cool thing about God is He listens to each one that way, right? We can't understand that. It's too hard for our mind to grasp, but He's listening to Joyce praise and at the same time, he's totally focused on Joyce. But at the same time, he's totally focused on Connie. And he's totally focused on Joyce and John and Jennifer. And he's totally focused on you as you're giving him praise. And he is worthy to be praised. So when you're praising him, think about when you're coming into church and you're getting ready to praise, or when you're driving down the highway and you're praising him, Think about the best time that you praised God. Think about the time in your life when you were like, ooh, man, I had it going on then. And no matter how silly you look in your car driving down the road, praise God however you want to. Praise God to give Him the glory. If you're raising your hands in the car crying, who cares what the person next to you thinks about you? You don't know them anyway. And if you do know them, they probably, if they're not your friend... They probably think, ah, that guy's crazy anyway. And if they are your friend or a brother in Christ, then they're going to be going, oh, I feel bad because I ain't worshiping God the way he is because I know that's what he's doing. So, read your Bible as you once did. Think about these things. Get back into the game where you once were. Get the momentum back into your game. Get the momentum back into your praise, to your worship, to your reading your Bible. Read as you once did. Pray as you once did. Praise as you once did. Remember that we love God because He first loved us. In Revelation 2.2, Christ tells the church at Smyrna, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they're liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. <clears throat> you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. God knows we're human. God knows we fall away. God knows that life gets in the way. But God gives us the strength to get back in the game. And he does it with a still small, small whisper. Do you hear his voice? And don't you know that we should be doing more? So I want us all to get back into the game. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the strength that you place in each and every one of your children into us, Lord.
we thank you for allowing us to be in the game, Lord God. You don't, it, it is a blessing for each one of us just to even be in this game. You have allowed us to be in this place and time and in this life as your children. We, we could have been born anywhere or at any time frame and never have known you. But God, we thank you because you knew us before we were even in the womb. Lord, you allowed us to be in this place and you have called us to be your children. So Lord, give us the strength to get back into the game. Give us the strength to continue serving you on a high level. Lord, give us the strength to continue to glorify you and see you what you are. Lord, so many times we just, we falter and we act as young children without having a focus on you and we just kind of do life and we just kind of move through. And Lord, that's not where we need to be. The time that we have here is small and we need to be moving forward with you constantly in the front of our lives, Lord. So, Lord, I would just ask today that you would give each and every one of us the strength that we would be able to focus, that we would be able to regain momentum, that we would be able to get back in the game for you, Lord, so that we can continue to glorify you in everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.